0: I will tell you that many have questions on their minds. In fact, quite frequently after our Bible classes, people will come up and say, well, what do you think about this or what do you think that passage means? And, uh, you know, what does a passage mean is a very important uh, question. And I encourage people to write them down, give them to me, and let's use them. Because if you've got that question, someone else may have it as well. But the other questions are like, "For what does God expect me to do? I see what the Bible says, but now how do I take and carry that in a practical way? Or questions like, how should I handle my current challenges? Those are even harder for me to answer. People will say, I have this situation in my life, and I want to do the right thing. I want to do what God wants me to do. What do I need to do in trying to address that? And so you always search for the Bible answers. Well, I will tell you, here's what God tells us to ask for. In Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and then you will find rest for your souls. What a wonderful thought. God said, you want to find a way that goes good? Ask for the old paths. The way that God has set forth for men. But he, if you'll notice the last part of verse 16, they said, we'll not walk in it. That's sad when people hear what God wants them to do. Well, I have two questions that have been asked for tonight. And I will tell you the first one was asked by Alyssa. So I told her to pay attention tonight. And I will tell you this, that a lot of times some of the questions that I get do come from some of our young people. And uh, the question she asked, I thought was a good question. Why did God ask Noah to build the ark instead of other people too? Why Noah? And that's a good question. Well, God asked only man, the only man, who was trying to do the right thing. I want you to go back with me to Genesis chapter 6, and let's look and see what the condition was when God called Noah. Noah. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If you look at everybody, it says there were thoughts of their minds was only evil continually. Why would God ask anybody whose heart was evil to build an ark to save him? Because that was the purpose that God had in destroying the world in the first place. Genesis 7 verse 1, the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and your household, because... I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Of all the people who were living, everybody on the face of the earth, only Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives were righteous in his sight. In Hebrews 11 and verse 7, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear prepared an art for the saving of his house by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness which is according to faith notice god showed noah what was coming god told noah what to do but out of all the people only noah did what god asked him to do and the truth is god was being gracious to noah it was God's grace that would extend to Noah the ability to save his life. But Noah had to do something. He had to be involved in the building of that ark. Yes, it was by grace, but God's grace told Noah what to do and provided the means for it. In Genesis 6 and verse 14, God said, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and make a cover and cover it inside and outside with pitch. The reason why the ark was built was not for God. The reason why the ark was built was for Noah. And for those animals that God would choose to preserve. If you read through verses 15 and through verse 22. I want you to notice in Genesis chapter 6. All the times he refers to yourself. And I'm not going to look at them all. I'm just going to bring out a couple of verses or so. In verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. Notice the emphasis on who was to go in. Verse 21, and you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself. And it shall be food for you and for them. Then, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so he did. So Noah built an ark to the saving of his house. He followed God's commands. And God only told Noah to build it because Noah was the only righteous man. And thus, according to 2 Peter 2 and verse 5, it says, And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So the question is, why did God just ask Noah to do it? Because Noah was the only good man, the only righteous man, and who would do what he asked him to do. Now the second question is a little more complex, and it requires a little more time. And I presume because of the current political climate going on in our country, that the subject of abortion has become very concerning And the question is, does the Bible say anything about abortion? What are Christians supposed to do? Well, Let me tell you before I actually begin this question, that we live in a divided world. We live in a world that some people follow God and some people follow the devil. And we live in a world where, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 1 and verse 28 And because they would not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up unto a reprobate or a debased mind to do those things which were not fitting. God looked at this world and he said, because you want to go your own way, you want to have your own mind, you want to do things your own ways, he said, okay, you can have your debased, your reprobate mind. And then beginning with verse 29 and following, he begins to talk about all the things that that does and how it affects them. And if you get to verse 31, he uses a phrase, without natural affection. Without natural affection. That's when you get to a point where you no longer have a reasonable, a natural Concern for someone else and for their life. What we want to do this evening is to look at some important biblical principles regarding this. And the first one is without any equivocation, life begins at conception. Life begins when the husband and the wife and the seed and the egg are fertilized, and that's when life begins. How do I know that? Let's go to Luke chapter 1 because I believe you have the answer just in Luke 1 if you were to have no other passages whatsoever. But he said in Luke 1 and verse 36 about Elizabeth and John the Baptist. It says now indeed in verse 36, Elizabeth your relative has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. She conceived, not a fetus, not a blob of tissue, she conceived a son. Now, that number one, it tells you it's a child. Number two, it tells you it's a male. And that's two things people have difficulty understanding today. Verse 57, now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered and she brought forth a son. She conceived a son and the baby that was born was a son. Folks, that's, there's no difficulty in understanding that. But if that's not enough. You look at verse 41 and verse 44 of this same context. And it happened with Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice the babe leaped. You mothers who've had children, you know that children will occasionally kick and uh move around in the womb but in this case john the baptist was uh leaping i guess that's a real and you know it's not just their normal moving but if you go on to verse 44 and indeed as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears the babe you know what the babe is the babe's a, a baby when someone has conceived, and that which is within the mother is not a fetus, that which is in the mother is a baby. And that's what scripture says. In Psalm 139, I want you to listen carefully. This is, it's in poetic language, but it is so well written for us. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, or more literally, in the secret parts, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. Stop right there for just a moment. God saw the substance when it was yet unformed. You know, there's, there's a point in time in which that baby in the womb looks like a baby. But there's a time when that child in the womb does not look formed, but... He said, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they are all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. The psalmist is saying, God, you made me in my mother's womb. Life begins at conception. And then the passage that Josh read to us just a few moments ago from Jeremiah chapter 1. When God called Jeremiah to be a prophet, he said to him, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Behold, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and appointed or ordained you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah, when your mother conceived you, I knew who you were and what you were going to do and what you were going to be. So many times this world has this idea that you don't become a baby until you're born. But that's not what Scripture says. Number two, the Bible condemns the harming or the killing of the child within the womb. For just a few moments, let's explore some passages. The book of Amos, chapter 1 and verse 13 He's going to begin a series of, for three transgressions and yes, for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And then he will list the nation and what they did. And when you get to verse 13, the Lord says, for three transgressions of the people of Ammon and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Well, what did they do? Because they ripped open the women with child in Gilead that they may enlarge their territory. God looked at the people of Ammon and said, Your gross cruelty is the fact that you took pregnant women and ripped them open and caused their children and the mother also to die. In 2 Kings chapter 15 verse 16, Then from Terza, Mahanim attacked Tifsa, all who were there in its territory, because they did not surrender. Therefore he attacked it. All the women who were there he ripped With child, he ripped open. Now, I want to tell you, that's gross. That's cruel. But that's the kind of mentality of godless people. And we have godless people in our country today who think nothing of taking the baby inside the mother's womb and pulling it apart limb from limb and cutting it apart. Not appreciating that. If you will, let's go to the book of Exodus, to chapter 21, and look at verses 22 through 25. And you have to remember, if you're studying through the book of Exodus, you get to chapter 20, God is giving Moses the law on top of Mount Sinai. We have the beginning of chapter 20 and the giving of the Ten Commandments, and then after that, there is specific instruction regarding what kind of things happen and. have a situation that arises in verses 22 through 25. Let's read it carefully. If men fight, if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according to the woman's husband's imposes on him and he shall pay as the judges determine now stop there at that point you have two men fighting and there's a woman nearby who's pregnant maybe one of the men's wives or maybe some other woman but they in their raucous fight hit that woman she falls down and she gives premature birth no harm follows the woman is not permanently damaged the baby is not permanently damaged then you're going to impose a fine. The husband's going to set it and the judge is going to say, yes, that's right or that's too much or not enough. But look at verse 23. But if any harm follows, if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, Burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. What happens if that fight causes that woman to give birth and the child is killed? Life for life. Oh, you mean it's a death penalty for a man who even unintentionally would cause a pregnant woman to lose her child or maybe to lose her life? Absolutely. Well, that gives a new twist to a lot of people in this world to recognize this what is being done today in the practice of abortion is nothing short of murder that's exactly what it is in scripture likewise the bible considers newborns as innocent blood which must not be shed in the book of ezekiel ezekiel is looking at what was taking place And the children of Israel were actually being sent into captivity because they had embraced so many of the practices of the nations round about them. One of the practices was was the offering of their children. In Chapter 16, verses 20 and 21. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters who you bore to me, and these you sacrificed them to be devoured. Were your acts of harlotry a small matter? That you have slain my children and offered them by causing them to pass through the fire. Now I want you to pause with me for just a second. Because you read some of these passages and you say, I can see what he's talking about this passing through the fire. But notice the question at the end of verse 20. Were your acts of harlotry a small matter? I want to ask you why so many of the abortions are being performed in this country. Well, there's mothers that are unwed who became pregnant by men that are not their husbands. You know what the Bible calls that? We call it fornication. That's what the New Testament calls it. The Old Testament calls it harlotry. He said, but you look at that as such a small matter, but now let me tell you what you do on top of that that you have slain my children and offered them up through by causing them to pass through the fire. They offered them to the god Molech in the valley of the sons of Hinnom. There was a, an open cavity inside of this idol. And they built a fire and the hands were outstretched. And as they built that fire, then they would lay a live baby on top of it and sear its skin. Now, that's just so despicable. But you see, that's what they were doing. In Exodus chapter one, verses sixteen and following, you can see what Pharaoh did. He said, "When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, and you see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him." If it's a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But save the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing? And save the male children alive. The midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very mightily. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all of his people saying, Every son who is born to you cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. You see, Pharaoh had no respect for life, particularly the lives of young men. We live in a world today that no longer respects life. We had a governor who actually is a doctor who advocated that what you do, you let that child be born, and then if you think it's all right, then you let it live. But if you don't think it's all right, go ahead and take that baby's life. Now, that's in our country, that's among our people. Not to be outdone by Pharaoh. King Herod, once he learned that there was born in the city of Bethlehem the king of the Jews, he commanded that the babies be killed. Then Herod, when he saw he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he set forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all of its district from two years old and under. According to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Herod said, okay, now we're not just going to get the babies. We're going to get the little children. All the way up to two years of age, the little boys. In Psalm 106, verses 35 through 38. Reflecting on what the children of Israel had done, he says, But they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood. The blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. The United States of America, for all the good that is a part of our country, is a land... Flowing with innocent blood. Sadly, it seems it's getting worse. Second Timothy 3 and verse 13 says, But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. There's a loss of respect for life. You may not realize it, but here's the way it goes. You have abortion, the killing of the baby before it's born. That then results in, once you have said that's okay, then begins infanticide. We already have those who are arguing for infanticide now. That's killing of the child after it's born. Then mercy killing. That's when you begin to think, well, when people begin to get so old and so forgetful that they can't even put the slides in the right order, maybe it's time to go ahead and get rid of them. You laugh, but once we're no longer productive members of society, the idea is you just get rid of those that that are becoming a burden to you. From that becomes ethnic cleansing. You see that happening in some other countries where you say, okay, this whole group of people doesn't deserve to live, whether it's Jews or whether it's of other nations truth is we're made in the image of God. Every one of us from the smallest baby that's in the mother's womb all the way to the old gray-headed man, a gray-headed woman. In Genesis 1 verse 27, And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And then chapter 9 and verse 6, Whoever sheds man's blood, blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. When you say, okay, now I want to see, what does the Bible say about abortion? It says that every baby is born and every baby is conceived in the image of Almighty God second part of that question is what can we do? And I I can't be as long-winded on this. You realize that one person can do something. I like the quote of Helen Keller. I will say before I read it that uh, floods are made up by raindrops. Many of us have seen the waters rise around us. There's been a lot of rain recently, but do you realize that every one of those came down as single raindrops? Helen Keller said, I am only one, but I'm still one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I refuse to do something, not to do, refuse to do something that I can do. If I've got the ability to do it, I'm going to do something to be a part of this. I remind you, this is a moral issue. It's not a political one. But one must always support the right Versus the wrong. If someone comes to you and advocates doing something that's wrong. You must say no. I can't support you. I can't encourage you. I can't vote for you. I can't give you money. I won't give you money. Now here's something that I don't think that we sometimes realize. We need to pray. Remember God is more powerful than all of us combined. And sometimes God is waiting for us in our consciences to say, God, we're sorry that this is going on and we want it to stop. And God has the power to make it stop. We need to preach. We need to teach. Especially God's nature and God's message on the nature of man. You know this morning I tried to make the point that the riot occurred in Ephesus because of the preaching that was so distinctive. We ought to be preaching such that we confront the ungodly world. We need to be telling the the young men and young women who are going out and fornicating and conceiving these children, that's wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. Just because you have committed one sin doesn't give you the right of the Ability to create another sin by killing that child. I want to encourage us to remain an inquisitive people. Wanting to know what God's word says and how we ought to apply it. And learning the truth will make us free. The more you and I know, John 7 verse 17, Jesus said, If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine. You want to know what God says? You put enough time and effort in reading it, you'll find the answer. John 8, verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You abide in his word, keep doing it. And then I always want to end with this idea. The greatest question that you and I will ever ask is, What must I do to be saved? Acts 16 and verse 30. And then you get the answer. And the answer is very plain and very simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 16, verse 31. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. We're going to sing the invitation song tonight. If you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, please let's do that tonight. If you're a Christian and you need to confess sin and be restored to faithfulness, we'll pray with you. Would you come as together? We stand and say.